Hey there. When I started making this show, one of the absolute must-do stories on my list was The Price of Insulin. It might be the symbol of how out of control our medical system is. I mean, here's a drug that was discovered 100 years ago now. A drug the people who discovered it did not want to patent because they never wanted anybody to make money on it. And here we are. People die all the time because they can't get it because of the price. How that came to happen was one of the first dozen or so stories we did. And over time, as this show started focusing more on the practical how-tos of surviving this out-of-control medical system, a lot of the people I've learned the most from have been people who need insulin to live, people who've had to shape their lives around making sure they could get medical care they needed, in this case, insulin. That's people like our producer, Emily Pisacreta. I've lived with type 1 diabetes since I was 11. For me, insulin is non-negotiable. If I go without insulin, within six hours, I'm throwing up. Within 24, I'm in the ICU. Wow. So basically, my entire adult life has been molded around being able to afford insulin. Priced as it is in the U.S., that means I need good health insurance to afford to literally live. So, Emily, one of the very first stories you ever pitched me more than a year ago was about an idea to maybe solve this problem for a lot of people. Yeah, the idea was California could make its own insulin and sell it really cheap. But, I mean, at the time, it was still kind of an idea, something the state of California was studying. But now it's in a different stage. Mm-hmm. It's at a stage where there's real money involved. Here's California Governor Gavin Newsom announcing the plan in July. California is now taking matters into our own hands. The budget I just signed sets aside $100 million so that we can contract to make our own insulin at a cheaper price, close to at cost, and to make it available to all. They are calling the program CalRx, but how's it going to work? I mean, is it going to work? California, here we come. This is an arm and a leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like a challenge. So our job on the show is to take one of the most raging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you something entertaining, empowering and useful. Now, Emily, you have really dug in to find out how far Gavin Newsom's hundred million dollars is going to get him. And you're the person to tell us how all this got going. Yeah. Well, for people who need insulin, the status quo is a crisis. A vial of insulin, which for me lasts like 10 days, is about $300, which is five times more than it was in 2007. And that's how we've ended up in a situation where an estimated one in four people who need insulin in the U.S. ration it, meaning they take less than they need and hope to get by. Some of those folks develop long-term complications. And some people die. And this started getting more well-known around 2017, when stories about young people dying because they couldn't afford their insulin started popping up in the news. There was Alec Smith in Minnesota. Alec was a type 1 diabetic, someone who needs to take insulin every day to survive. And Antavia Lee Worsham from Ohio. Antoinette Worsham's daughter, Antavia, died at just 22 years old. Her mother says it's because her daughter could not afford to pay for insulin to treat her diabetes. And there are lots of others. Their families spoke out and the media started paying attention. Mothers in anguish protested outside a Cambridge drug company today. They got together with activists around the country to protest in front of the headquarters of Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, 
and Sanofi, the three giant pharmaceutical companies who make and set the price for insulin. Yeah, and didn't some states actually start passing laws to cap the price of insulin? Well, Dan, that's what politicians wanted to say they were doing. Delivering lower health care costs by capping insulin prices. Capping the price of insulin. Cap the cost of insulin. But no, they were actually promoting copay caps. Okay, right. And that's not good because why? Well, copay caps limit how much you pay over the counter if you have insurance. Oh, right. And like there's still a bunch of people who don't have insurance. Right. And for most people with insurance, these copay caps didn't do anything. Wait, what? Yeah, because as we've covered on this show before, states don't even have the power to regulate the insurance most people get from work. Right. Okay. That seems like a pretty useless approach, then. Well, it's useful if you want to tell voters you're doing something about insulin without doing anything the pharmaceutical industry would object to. Oh, right. Those guys. Yeah. A whole chunk of our last episode was about how powerful they are. So, yeah. Politicians in these states didn't even try to cross them. One exception is Minnesota. That's where Alex Smith was from. One of those people whose death made early headlines. Minnesota passed the Alex Smith Insulin Affordability Act to help low-income people get an emergency stash of insulin for free. And they wanted the insulin manufacturers to help pay for it. And then what happened? The insulin makers sued. The case is still in court. So when some folks from California were trying to decide how they wanted to tackle insulin prices, along with other drug prices, they knew pharma and politicians reluctant to piss them off would be an obstacle. So they had to get creative. At that time, we were throwing everything at the wall and saw what stuck. That's Chris Noble. He works at an organization called Health Access California. Like me, Chris knows firsthand what it's like to need insulin. He has type 1 diabetes, too. He told me about a memory that's really stuck with him. The summer after he finished college, he worked at a camp for kids with diabetes. And at the end of every summer, all of the camp counselors would basically put all of the donated insulin that was left over from the summer of sessions and distribute it to the folks that didn't have health insurance. I didn't have health insurance at the time, and so I was filling a backpack with vials of insulin to basically hold me over until my job started in the fall. So, And some people, they didn't have a job in the fall, so they would fill up their bags. They would get more vials of insulin to hold them over until the winter session of summer camp started. Jesus, that is some motivation. Yeah, it's hard to forget something like that. In 2019, Chris's colleagues at Health Access paired up with a California state senator named Richard Pan from Sacramento, who also happens to be a doctor. And they had an idea. What if it's not about capping anything? If pharma is going to come up in arms and say, no, you can't regulate our prices, well, what if we have another way around and we actually just produce a commodity at cost that's a California state-owned commodity that we decide the prices, the government decides the prices. So Senator Richard Pan, the doctor, introduced a bill in the fall of 2019 mandating the state undertake a study on whether it could manufacture its own generic drugs, including at least one form of insulin. And it passed. Pan says he learned about the public manufacturing of drugs a long time ago in Massachusetts, where he was a medical resident. Massachusetts was manufacturing vaccines and some other items as well, and of course other countries around the world. So what California says they're trying to do with insulin has a lot of precedent. But that doesn't mean there won't be some obstacles. And the big ones, they're not what you might expect. That's right after this. (laughs) 
This episode of An Arm and a Leg is produced in partnership with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service covering healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the giant healthcare outfit Kaiser Permanente. We'll have some more information about KHN at the end of this episode. So, California wants to make its own insulin. They want to sell it at or near cost. And the state recently budgeted $100 million over the next year to get it started. First question, uh, is that going to cover it? Yeah, let's talk about this budget. It's $100 million for the first year. They're putting half the money toward building a manufacturing facility. And the other half will essentially go to a contractor, an existing company, to develop the drug and spearhead the regulatory process. The regulatory process. Yeah, dude. Drug companies love to talk about this. There's the cost of all the science to get a drug that works. And then all the studies you have to run to prove to the FDA that it's safe and effective and does what you say it does. And that can be expensive, especially for a drug like insulin, what's called a biosimilar, a generic biologic drug. To get a sense of whether California has put enough in the piggy bank for biosimilar insulin, I talked to somebody who's looked at this. My name is Melissa Barber. I'm a PhD candidate at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and I'm a health economist. A couple years ago, Melissa worked on a project for the World Health Organization, figuring out what it costs to develop drugs and get them to market. The idea was to give governments better ammo, like solid information, when they negotiate with drug makers. So let's see, we just went through this. There's uh, drug development, like all the experiments you run to actually get a drug that works, and then the regulatory approval process and, I guess, raw materials? Yep. And on top of that, Melissa's also allowing for what would be a generous profit margin in the world of generic drugs. Voila, a potentially reasonable price. Because, no surprise, at their current market rates, a whole lot of brand-name drug makers have given themselves profit margins that are notoriously outrageous. Some of the first drugs we costed were for for hepatitis C, which was originally brought on the market for $84,000 for a cure. And those drugs cost about 40 bucks to make, including a profit margin. In this case, a profit margin of 10%. That's a little more than average for generic drugs. I mean, okay, 10% average. Maybe I want a little more than average. Well, Melissa says you could get a huge margin without ending up with the kinds of prices we have now. A government could be like, fine, we're going to give you like... 300% profit margin, a thousand percent profit margin, and still it would be less than what is being charged. And for the insulin that most people use today, what Melissa's team found was that it could be produced for between 78 and 133 bucks per patient per year. So I could charge double that, like 100% profit margin, and it would still be less for a whole year than a single vial of insulin is right now. Yeah. And the cost Melissa is quoting here includes an allowance, so you can recoup the cost of starting this whole operation. California is just putting in this 100 million bucks up front without planning to get it back later. So those are Melissa's numbers. Has anybody else priced this out? Yeah. She says she's looked at estimates from folks who are in the industry to make money, and their numbers look like hers. So Melissa thinks California's budget seems like a reasonable place to start. So $100 million covers putting together a drug that works, getting it approved by regulators, and building a factory? That's right. Melissa points to what the big for-profit insulin makers have reportedly spent building their factories in recent years. $50 million is a reasonable ballpark figure for the kind of money you'd expect to need to build such a facility, especially if they're just repurposing existing facilities or co-investing with a contract manufacturer. Melissa says a lot is likely to depend on the terms of this contract with this private company California is going to partner with. But the upshot is that 
The budget doesn't seem totally off base here. And they're also not the only people attempting to make biosimilar insulin right now. Yeah, there's this nonprofit called Civica Rx. Their insulin project is funded by a big partnership among health insurance companies, plus some diabetes nonprofits and foundations. And Dan, your theory is that Civica Rx might well end up being CalRx's contractor. And that maybe, I mean, who knows? California might not have been willing to bet on biosimilar insulin without Civica Rx. I mean, that's your hunch. You're welcome to it. But you're definitely not alone in speculating that they might end up being the partner. They did confirm to me that they applied and that they share many of the same goals as CalRx, which means they'll probably face some of the same challenges. For instance, pharmaceutical companies are notoriously litigious about their patents. And maybe it's not a patent on the insulin itself. With the ones CalRx is looking at, those are all long expired. But maybe it's something small, like a component part on an insulin pen. Yeah. I mean, you mess with that stuff, you're going to court. Totally. Sanofi took Merck to court when they tried to bring a biosimilar insulin to market. And Merck ended up pulling it. Not worth the hassle, I guess. So that's how this gets derailed? The pharma companies sue California? I mean, we can't predict for sure. The folks I spoke with at CalRx admit that that's always going to be a risk. But I talked to James Love. He's an expert in drug patent law. And he told me that California might have a huge leg up on this front. That's thanks to a Supreme Court case in the 90s that says that states are actually immune from patent challenges. Huh, so they're lawsuit proof. I am starting to think this could actually work out. Well there may be a different hurdle that CalRx could face. And this is something I hadn't even thought of until a consultant from CalRx brought it up. And that is getting their insulin covered by insurance. This is David Toppelberg. Do you know how the pharmacy benefits managers work, the PBMs? Unfortunately, I have some idea, yes. (laughs) Oh, man, PBMs. We did a whole episode on those guys. Mm -hmm. They're these middleman companies that basically decide which drugs your insurance plan is going to cover. And they are super powerful, especially because there's only three big PBMs. So in theory, they're negotiating with pharma companies to get discounts. But in reality, they're skimming a ton for themselves. So the higher a drug's list price is, the more there is for PBMs to skim. Yeah. Expensive insulin means PBMs make more money. That is wild. (sighs) So, Emily, after you brought up David's concern, I talked with Karen Van Nuys. She's an economist at the University of Southern California who published a study last year about who makes how much on expensive insulin. And I asked her, you know, come on, if California makes super cheap insulin, PMs are going to cover it, right? I don't know how optimistic to be, but I will say that the incentives are not um, are not conducive to PBMs happily making that agreement. That just seems bananas to me, though, right? I mean... Right? Yeah, well, the drug pricing, yeah. Now, Karen had just told me insurance companies do get to tell PBMs what they want. And I asked her, can't they just tell the PBMs they want super cheap insulin? Can't they just, you know, insist? Yeah, they certainly can insist, but it's basically giving up a very profitable chunk of business for the PBM and what are they going to pay in return. I mean, I do not know whether I'm more pissed off at the drug companies or the PBMs at this point. Yeah. And imagine this is about a drug you literally need to survive from one day to the next. And and this is maybe the biggest obstacle to California's cheap insulin plan, just making it available to people on their insurance? Yeah. And David Toppelberg from Calorex says they do have a plan. It involves trying to bypass the PBMs, negotiating directly with insurance companies, and selling directly to patients. 
People can pay cash, something people without insurance have to do anyway. David and his boss, Vishal Pagani, told me they expect Calorex insulin to be available at major retailers and maybe eventually available for people out of state, too. In fact, whole states have expressed interest in buying it in bulk, like Washington. But David told me the goal for Calorex isn't to sell a ton of insulin. It's to get insulin prices a lot lower, even if the state loses money on it. Let's say that we bring our insulin product to market and all of our competitors lower their prices to what we have. And we don't sell a single vial of insulin because they've all lowered their prices. That would be a success for us. That's a win. And meanwhile, Emily, from another part of your conversation with David, sounds like one part is starting to fall into place. What kind of design are the vials going to have? Is there going to be like a California style logo? There actually is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, a logo that we've designed that's uh, that's in line with uh, the California ethos. What do you think the California ethos is? I don't know, but it sounds pretty good to me. I mean, is it going to be like raisins? Are we talking about surfboards? Uh, was California like an early legal weed state? Like what? what's it going to be? Snoop Dogg? Beach Boys? Maybe just a golden bear. A golden bear? What the hell's a golden bear? Have you ever seen the flag for the Republic of California? Uh... It's like something that it's a flag that like a lot of people have in their dorm rooms. <laughs> One of the University of California campuses uh, has the banana slug as their mascot. Banana slug insulin. I'm here for it. I guess we'll find out. Meanwhile, we'll be back with another episode in three weeks. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by Emily P. Secreto with help from me, Dan Weissman, edited by Marion Wang. Thanks to our operations manager, Sarah Bellama, for production help. And we learned as we were about to post this episode to the interwebs that the bear is, in fact, California's state flag. Sorry, California. Okay, moving on. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Gabrielle Healy is our managing editor for audience. She edits the first eight kit newsletter. B. Bosco is our consulting director of operations. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. KHN is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor. This guy, Henry J. Kaiser, a 20th century industrialist. When he died, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast at Kaiser Health News. She is editorial liaison to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative. That's a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. Those donations support this show. If you're not a donor yet, we would love to have you. Come by to www.armandlegshow.com support. Thank you.